Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it's my privilege to be opening up God's Word together with you this morning. We are in this new series that we are calling Apps for Life. And uh, I wanna, want you to just set that series up a little bit with you today. Do you know that right now in the world today, one billion people have one of these, a smartphone, a billion. That's uh, it's only seven billion people in the world. So one of every seven people in the whole world have one of these smartphones. And here's the interesting thing, we use them. The average person checks their smartphone 150 times a day. That's an average of once every six and a half minutes. And some of you are sitting there going, really, I don't think I check mine that much. And some of you are going, six and a half minutes? More like six and a half seconds, right? But the fact is, we use those smartphones a lot. And uh, one of the really interesting things about technology is that technology, studies show, has started to shape us. It started to shape our lives. Let me give you one example of that. How many of you use Twitter? Just a couple of Twitter or tweets or twits or whatever you guys are. I don't know what that is, but uh, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but, but Twitter is this you know, way that you can post messages and communicate. Uh, the folks that designed the Twitter app were really pretty smart. Because, see, they want you checking that app as much as possible. And so here's what they did. When you first open up that app, it takes a second, but then this little thing displays and lets you know how many messages you have. And, uh, but it doesn't happen instantly. There's a little bit of delay there. And they actually learned to do that from Las Vegas. You see, years ago in Las Vegas, the slot machines uh, were all mechanical. In other words, you would pull the lever and the wheels would turn and no one, even the machine, knew whether you were going to win or not until those wheels stopped turning. But then they shifted to electronic slot machines. And here's the deal. The moment you press that button on the electronic slot machine, the machine instantly knows whether you won or not. But if it told you instantly, it wouldn't be as much fun. And so Vegas did all this research to figure out how long they needed to delay to tell you whether you won or not, because they want to create just enough time to create some anticipation so you have a better experience and then you want to do it again. Now the Twitter people actually use that research to decide how long to wait to tell you whether you had messages. Why? because they want to increase that sense of anticipation so that you will do it again and again and again. And that's just one example of ways in which our technology is actually designed to shape our behavior. But that's not really what this series is about. Because, see, ultimately, you are still in control. You are the one that shapes your technology. There's a reason that Twitter app is on your phone. It's because you put it there. And uh, so what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks is not so much how our technology shapes us, although that's going to be part of it. More, we're going to be looking at how we shape our technology. In other words, what does how we use our technology say about us and how we live our lives? Now, why would we do that? Well, because very simply, the Bible says this, that we should think carefully about how we live. That, that how we live each day of our lives matters. Because as it says, the days are evil. We have opportunities to be useful to God, to be part of his mission, to be serving him. And so we need to think carefully about our lives and not just go through every day of our lives just kind of blindly accepting whatever gets thrown at us. And so that's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. 
We're going to think carefully together about how we live our lives, and we're going to use the apps that we use most often on our phones as kind of a metaphor, kind of a way of looking at how we live our lives. So over these next three weeks, each week, we're going to be looking at a different of the most three most popular apps that people use on their phones, and we're going to ask ourselves, what, is, what does that say about who we are as people, and what does God have to say about that. And then the last week of the series, we're going to take a little bit of a turn. We're going to look at another app that you can have on your smartphone that can actually shape your life in an amazing way. And so we're going to save that for the last week. We're going to look at a very positive use of technology and how that shapes our lives. But first, this week, we're going to start with maybe the most popular app on a lot of people's phones, the camera app. And specifically, what we're going to look at this morning is one way we use that camera app, and that is taking a selfie, all right? How many of you have taken a selfie in your life? Yeah, there you go, right? Okay. Now, very simply, a selfie is just when we use that camera in our smartphone to take a picture of ourselves somewhere out in public with someone, with something, some place that we're at. And it's not just that we take the selfie, we have to then post the selfie somewhere, right? So other people can see who we were with or where we were at or stuff like that. That's what a selfie is all about. Now, there's actually some really interesting history to this. It wasn't until 2000 that somebody actually thought to put a camera in your smartphone, okay? Before 2000, no one had thought of putting a camera in your phone. But in 2000, the first camera phone came out, and that was pretty cool because you didn't have to carry an electronic uh, uh, phone and a camera, right? You had them both in one device. Uh, then, a couple years later, in 2003, the Ericsson cell phone company did something really kind of interesting. They were the first company to take the camera from the back of the phone, where you were taking pictures of others or things, and put it on the front of the phone so you could take a picture of yourself, right? And, uh, and very quickly after that, just two years later, the term selfie started appearing out there, okay? That term was kind of born. And now here's a question for you before I show it to you. How many selfies do you think people uploaded to Google's servers last year? 24 million selfies. Or billion. Oh, sorry, billion. Yeah, billion with a B, right? That's even worse, right? 24 billion selfies were uploaded to the Google servers last year. People love taking selfies. And now the question is, why? Why do we love taking pictures of ourselves? Why do we love posting those pictures of ourselves in places where our friends and relatives and old high school boyfriends can see them? <laughs> what does that say about us? Well, very simply, here's what it says about us. We love ourselves. You see, the truth behind the selfie revolution is that all of us, when it comes right down to us, are selfish. Now, I know that's a little bit hard to take. Um, but, but if it's any consolation, know that it's not just you that are selfish. It's not just modern people with cell phones that are selfish. In fact, if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to those first two human beings, Adam and Eve, we find that they were selfish. We're going to look at this story of how that happened in just a minute, but, uh, but I'm convinced that if Adam and Eve had had a smartphone right after they ate that apple, they would have taken a selfie. 
Now, let's, let's take a look at that story. When God first created human beings, we're told in Genesis chapter 1 that he created human beings in his image. That, now, that doesn't mean we looked like God physically. What it means is we were created to be like God. In other words, we were created to be perfect. We were created to be loving we were created to be focused on loving others the way God is. The Bible tells us God is love. God is always focused on love for others, always focused on the best for others. That's what we were created to be. We were created to be like God. And, uh, and the Bible says it this way. It says that God looked at all he had made, including human beings, and he saw that it was very good. God tried to make us in his image, and he was successful. We were created in that image. But we were also given free will. And so we're told in Genesis chapter 3 that one day, Satan, who was working against God and all that he had made, who wanted to corrupt and ruin God's creation, Satan confronts Eve in the, in the form of a snake. And Adam and Eve are there, and Satan has this conversation with Eve, and he, and he says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see, there they are in this Garden of Eden, and, and there's all these trees, all this wonderful produce just waiting right there for them to eat. Except in the middle of the garden, there was a tree, and God said, that tree you better leave alone. You can't eat of that tree. And so Satan says to Eve, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? God takes what, or Satan takes what God says and expands it a little bit. And Eve says, no, of course we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, let me ask you this. Why did God even give them the opportunity to do that? Because, again, God gave them free will. And free will isn't really free if you don't have a choice, if you don't have an alternative. So if God was really going to make us in his image and give us free will as God has, he had to give us a choice. He had to give those first human beings an alternative, and, and they had one. There was that tree in the middle of the garden. They could eat all the rest, just not that one. Well, Satan wasn't happy with that. And so Satan says to Eve, you're not going to die. That was a lie, by the way. But then the next part he says is kind of true. Because God knows that if you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, what Satan says is, you have the opportunity to make the rules for yourself. I think a lot of you know that before I became a pastor, I was a junior high teacher. And uh, one year, I, was, I had seventh grade homeroom and I had been warned by the principal that those seventh graders, this class I was getting, they were tough. He said, this class is really going to test you. You're really going to have trouble with this class. And so the first day I stood up there and I said to the class, okay, guys, uh, this is going to be a little different than any class you've ever been in before because there's no rules in this classroom. As long as you're not breaking the state of Illinois rules or getting me fired, you can do whatever you want. They're like, wait, what? I said, you can do whatever you want. You can sit wherever you want. You can, uh, you can eat food during class. You can talk during class. You, you don't have to do your homework if you don't want to do it. You, you, can, you can do whatever you want. There's no rules. Go for it. How do you think they, they liked it? At first, they loved it. They were like, this is awesome, right? Now, after about two weeks, they were begging me for some rules, but that's another story. There's that part in all of us that doesn't want somebody else making rules for us, right? And so we're told that Adam and Eve looked at that fruit, and they saw that it was beautiful, the fruit looked delicious, and they wanted the wisdom that it would give them, and so Eve eats and Adam eats. And then the Bible tells us this really kind of 
unique and interesting thing that happened immediately after they ate that fruit. No, they didn't really take a selfie, okay? What, what happened immediately after? Do you remember? It, it says this. At the moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. In other words, what happens in that moment is they become self-aware in a way that they've never been self-aware before. What, what's going on with that? Well, again, God created us to live in his image. He created us to be loving just as he is. He created us specifically to be focused on loving God and loving others. In fact, God created us to be so focused on loving God and loving others that, that we would think very little, if at all, about ourselves and our own needs and our own desires and our own wants. We would just be so focused on making sure that others were taken care of and loved that's the way we were created. But the moment Adam and Eve sinned, what happened is a new reality came into your life and mine, this idea that our first focus is on ourselves. And everything we do, whether you're willing to admit it or not, everything we do is through that lens of how's this going to affect me. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking selfies. Let's make sure you hear that clearly. We're not saying selfies are a sin. In fact, I took a selfie last night, okay? There's nothing wrong with taking selfies. But it, it, they reveal something about the selfishness that is in all of us. Now, if you're not buying it, let me give you one more example of that. How many of you at one point in your life had a yearbook? Maybe a college yearbook, a high school yearbook, something like that. Okay, all right. Now, when, think back. When you first got that yearbook, what did you do? I'll bet you did exactly what I did when I got my freshman year college yearbook. The first thing I did was turn to the index in the back where they list all the names of the people in the yearbook, and I found my name there, and I found the page numbers where there were the pictures of me, so the first thing I could do is find every picture of me in that yearbook, right? There's me on the track team. I don't know what's more shocking to you, that I was on the track team? <laughs> Or that I would wear socks like that. What was up with that? But, but didn't you do that, right? That, because, again, ultimately, ultimately, the way we live our lives, if we're honest, is we're focused on ourselves. Now, now, again, maybe you're going, well, wait a minute, Mark. I know some really selfish people, and I'm not like that. I, I don't think I'm really that selfish, and I don't think that people that know me would say I'm that selfish. But see, I would argue that, that you're, it's not that you're not selfish, it's just that you've become wise selfish. Well, let me explain what I mean. The Dalai Lama actually put it this way. He says there's two kinds of selfish. There's foolish selfish, which is, he says, being foolish selfish means pursuing our own interests in a narrow, short-sighted way. We all know people that are like that. But more likely, most of the people you know are wise selfish. And he says being wise selfish means taking a broader view and recognizing that our own long-term individual interest lies in the welfare of everyone. In other words, what he's saying is when we're not selfish, we're really just being selfish in a different way. What we're saying is I want to make sure everybody around me is happy because then I'm going to be happier, right? It's just another form of being selfish. He even defines why selfish is being compassionate. And I would argue there's really more to it than that. 
And by the way, even the Dalai Lama likes a good selfie every once in a while, all right? So what's really wrong with being selfish? I mean, is there anything really wrong with, in the end, protecting our own interests, uh, taking care of what's important to us? Well, I would argue there's two things that are wrong with it. The first is because selfishness is kind of our default mode in life, our relationships are never as deep and as fulfilling as God created them to be. I mean, we could have some wonderful relationships. Uh, there could be great marriages. There could be wonderful relationships between parents and kids. You could have some incredibly good friends. But as great as those relationships are now, they're not as great as they could be if we were as selfless as God created us to be. I mean, imagine a marriage where the two people in that marriage truly never think of their own needs and only think of the needs of each other. I mean, we try to get there, but none of us ever really do. Or imagine how great a parent you would be is if you were able to truly always put the needs of your kids first. I don't get there. Our son's home this summer uh, from college, and it's, it's great having him home, but I'm getting ready for him to leave in August, right? Or imagine what your friendships would be like if, if it was never about you, but it was always about others. And imagine what it would be like to have friends that were like that. You see, one of the problems with this, this cycle of selfishness that we're, we're, we're kind of trapped in is that our relationships are never all God created them to be. And, and here's the second problem. I don't know about you, but honestly, I don't want to be selfish. I really don't. Uh, there are some sins that I commit that if I'm honest, I go, I kind of like that, okay? All right? But, but, but when it comes to selfishness, I really don't want to be a self-centered person. I, I just can't avoid it. I want to be the kind of person that people look to in a time of need and know I'm going to be there for them. I want to be the kind of person that is always putting the needs of others first. I want to be more selfless, and my guess is you do too. So how do we do that? How do we break that cycle of selfishness in our lives? How do we learn to live more like God created us to live, putting the needs of others before the needs of ourselves? How do we break that cycle? Well, here's the good news. You don't have to. Jesus has already broken that cycle for you. See, that's why Jesus came. He, he came to this earth to, to right the wrong that happened way back there in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. He came to this earth to break that cycle of selfishness that, that has become the default mode of every human being that has ever lived. The Bible talks about it this way. In Philippians 2, Paul said this. He says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Folks, when Jesus went to that cross, he did it without thinking of himself at all, but only thinking of you and me. He did it so that we could be forgiven for our selfishness. He did it so that we could now and forever have a new chance to live lives of selflessness focused on others. 
Here's another way. This was actually my verse of the day in my Bible app yesterday. Isn't that cool? And, and this is what came up. This is from 2 Corinthians 5. Christ died for all so that those who live would not continue to live for themselves. Because of what Jesus has done, we can now live for others. The cross breaks in to the selfishness in our lives, and it teaches us that there is a better way. It not only teaches us that there's a better way, it empowers us to live that better way through the gift of God's Spirit that we are given through what Jesus did for us. I love these verses. They're just a few verses earlier than those verses we just saw about what Jesus has done for you and me. Look at what he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't you want to live that way? I do. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then look at this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Folks, the reality is there are times when you truly do put the needs of others ahead of yourself, and that's because you've got God's Holy Spirit living in you. That's because he has given you that gift of the power of his Spirit living in you that allows you to live this kind of life. Did you ever experience that? You, you, you do something and you realize, I, I just did that for that person and there was nothing in it for me. And it felt really good. And I was able to make a difference in their life. Folks, when you've experienced that, you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working to break the cycle of selfishness in your life and give you a new chance to live the life God created you to live. With God's Spirit, it's possible to use the camera on the back of the phone more than the camera on the front of your phone. To truly live a life a little bit more each day that, that makes you the kind of person that does have time for that person who just needs a shoulder to cry on, that, that makes you a better parent than you could ever be on your own, that, that makes you kind and caring and compassionate, that makes you willing to share. Even when there's Nothing you're going to get in return. And here's the best news of all. Someday in heaven, that's the kind of person you're going to be. Someday in heaven, you and I will live forever the kind of life that God created us, fully focused on our love for God and our love for others. And there, our relationships will be the deep wonderful, incredible relationships God created them to be. There are marriages will, will be all that God imagined them to be. There are relationships with our kids and with our friends will, will be beyond our wildest dreams. But in the meantime, we've got some work to do, right? I want to end the message with this quote. This is uh, from C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer. And, uh, and he says it this way. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. In other words, we're not saying that you got to think, well, I'm kind of a dirty, rotten schmuck. Everybody else is better than me. That's, that's not what we're saying. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and others more. That's what we've been called to do. That's the kind of life I want to live. And in fact, that is the kind of life that is possible when we have the mind of Christ. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, uh, this morning, um, we come before you, and um, I, 
we just want to admit to you that we, we recognize that we're selfish. That, that almost everything we do is done through this lens of how is this going to affect me? How is this going to make me feel? What, does this, is this good for me? It's just kind of how we see life. And Lord, we know that's not the way you created us to live. You created us to think so little of ourselves and, uh, and, and, and think just all we can about you and others and, and the opportunity we have to make a difference in the lives of people around us. Lord, we want to be those kind of people, so forgive us for all the times when we have put ourselves first over the needs of others. Empower us to live lives right now more and more each day that put the needs of others first, that make us kind and compassionate and caring. And finally, Lord, thank you for that promise that we have, that hope that we have, that someday in heaven, we will be all you created us to be. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ, or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T L C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.